0: Good afternoon and greetings in the name of one who wants to be your life companion, your companion for life. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord Jesus. topic this afternoon is choosing a life companion, and perhaps you came expecting me to choose a life companion for you, in which case you will be disappointed. That's not my intent. I'll leave that as your responsibility and the responsibility of Maranatha Bible School in places like that. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 18.22 talks about my wife. Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good or a good thing, and obtain the favor of the Lord. <clears throat> now, at our wedding, uh, something was said uh, to me that probably won't be said to many of you. This older brother, a spiritual man, uh, invited to our wedding. He shook hands with me after the ceremony in the receiving line. He said, um, Your wife is no good anymore. And I thought and smiled and was happy to agree with him. Um, my wife, whose name had been Barbara Good, became Barbara Good Bean. So I was glad that she was not no good anymore. But I thought of this verse, uh, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good. Uh, The word italics is in the word thing is in italics there. So that was especially for me. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good. That was for me. Well, I'm very happy that I chose her and she chose me and the Lord chose both of us and uh, we chose the Lord and uh, God's will brought us together in marriage. And in a few months, we will be celebrating number 40. I was happy, single. I am happy married. The most important thing is being in God's will. That is paramount. I'm not sure if I'm more happy married than single or single than happy, than uh, married, but uh, I'm really getting happy. (laughs) However... Being married uh, brought about new responsibilities and new dimensions to life. <laughs> My point is that joy and happiness comes from being in the will of God. Now, how do people find a spouse? Many nowadays use a dating service. They are very popular on the internet. I understand. I've never checked it out. Um, met a man in Northwest Territories when I was visiting my sister, who lives there, Northern Canada. And he was um, a pastor, maybe a lay pastor, from a small congregation there among the native people of Canada. And anyway, uh, I think it was through the internet. Oh, it was a dating service, but anyway, we got acquainted with a young lady, a Christian young lady from Hong Kong, and um, they corresponded and sent pictures and decided that they would meet for the first time in Hawaii, and then if everything was okay with each other, they would get married there. And they did get married. And she moved from Hong Kong, from a church of about five or 10,000 people, to northern, to the Arctic of Canada, where they had about 15 people at church. That was culture shock for her. And I don't think they... Sort of lost track of them. Have they? Are they still living there? They're still in that area. So... Finding a Life Companion. Wouldn't recommend the internet. Now, worldly people would say go to bars and go to sports events and go to dances and community events of one sort or another. The world has its ways and the world has its results in terms of marriage. I invite you to turn to First to Thessalonians 4 for six different principles. If you want to follow along anyway. Principles for choosing. God calls some to singlehood. God calls some to marriage. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 4 has this phrase, Uh, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Some translations say, to procure a wife, which is not usually the term we talk about when we're dating, but anyway. um, I did not say to Barbara when I was asking her to date me, I wish to procure a wife. Would you help me in this project? One principle is verse 1. To please God. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. The world and those of the world are out to to please oneself. We want to please God in all that we do, and something as important as marriage, we certainly want to have God's blessing upon us. Second principle in verse. Three, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. In other words, it needs to be in purity. In the world, fornication is the norm. It's accepted. It's expected. Even in Mennonite circles in Europe, I talked with a young lady a number of years ago who was visiting Canada from the Netherlands and... uh, Anyway, we got talking about in a marriage or about dating. and Anyway, it turned out that she felt it would be a good idea to live together prior to marriage. That's the way they do it there in the church. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you live with someone first to see if you're compatible? Was her reasoning. And that's the reasoning of many in the world. Now, statistically, it doesn't make sense. And scripturally, it certainly isn't biblical to uh, sleep together prior to marriage. But according to various surveys, which I assume to be reasonably correct, in the evangelical world, where dating standards are Not much different than the world's. Um, The amount or the the ratio, the percentage of those who uh, engage in sex prior to marriage who are evangelicals who claim to be born again is about the very same as in the world. It's not at all like the Bible says where it tells us to flee fornication and that we should abstain from fornication, verse 3. So principle number one, please God. Number two, um, impurity. Number three, honestly. Verse six, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you in testifying. There is often a desire to deceive about or to give a false impression to uh, a possible partner. The wise man spoke about such a woman. Proverbs 7 verse 21 says, With much fair speech she caused him to yield, with the flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart bestriketh. Through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. That's about the strange woman, the uh, adulterous woman, the impure woman, the seducer. A fourth principle for choosing a life companion is, verse 7, in holiness. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The world's approach is that of uncleanness. Love will endure if you keep it pure. Fifth principle, engage in courtship under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Rather than under the direction of the Holy Spirit, The world is under the direction of hormones and a carnal, sinful nature. The sixth principle is with love. Verse 9, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Love, sacrificial love, not lust. As verse 5 says, not in the lust of concupiscence, Sexual desires, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Our way of procuring a life is quite different than that of the world. And all of us, all of this is to be in honor. Uh, verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Honor to God, honor to one's parents, honor to one's church, honor to one's partner. So, what's the procedure now in choosing a husband or a wife? Well, one idea is to ask your parents to get the job done for you. That is done a lot in the past, has been done a lot in the past, and it continues to be in a lot of cultures in the world. And the divorce rate in such cultures is lower than where young people do the job which is ironic, since young people are very wise on such things, presumably. I mean, uh, you know what you're attracted, what, who you're attracted to, and you hardly expect your parents to be. But anyway, uh, I'm not advocating parents uh, choosing a husband or a wife, but I think parents should have some involvement, and certainly uh, we should... Uh, consider their counsel and so I remember talking to my parents and I also talked to Barbara's dad about this possibility and they gave their blessing and well I think my dad said uh, yeah he'd sort of like to have Barbara come he knew that Barbara likes coffee and uh, he liked coffee and so he figured he'd get more coffee out of uh, the experience of uh, courting I don't like coffee and nor did my mom so That was the deal there. Well, you can ask your parents. Another procedure is to ask the church leaders. This was done some in the early church in the first couple centuries after the church began. I don't remember reading how it turned out, but in one branch of the Mennonite church, I am aware that the one church leader talks to church leader, you know, if there's a guy and a girl, so the, the church leaders correspond with each other about this possibility. And uh, then church leader talks to the parents, and eventually it gets to the level of the young people who would get married. So that's another approach. I was happy to do it different, but... Third procedure is the initiative of the young person or whatever age they might be. That would be our culture. This needs to be under the direction of the Holy Spirit with the blessing of parents and uh, at least the general blessing of the church. Now, if you wish to get married and uh, it's the Lord's will for you to get married, uh, it's important to choose rightly. And I like to say that uh, it's all a matter of good looks. Depends on how you look. And this is in three areas. First of all, the first good look is looking to the Lord. The second good look is looking at yourself. And the third good look is looking at the character qualities of a potential husband or wife. So let's consider these. First of all, looking to the Lord. Look to him to teach you and to guide you. He offers his guidance, his services in this regard psalmist said, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So we look to him to direct us. We wait on the Lord. We ask for wisdom. It is a serious matter. There are many marriage problems. There are many marriage breakups. Mennonites, uh, well, we know we don't divorce and remarry, but there are loads of unhappy contentious homes. I've worked in some of those to help things out. Don't assume that you should get married. It's a normal desire for that companionship. But it's all important to delight ourselves in the Lord and in his will. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Psalm 37, 3 to 5. To delight ourselves in the Lord rather than in this idea of marriage. Christ will supply all your need. He wants to be the life companion of all. For some, he provides a life companion on a human level. For others, he wants to be the exclusive life companion. Is a person less lonely if married? Possibly, but not necessarily. Uh, you can be, uh, I know there are very lonely people imprisoned in a marriage relationship. Are there less problems with Purity. Many of us struggle with problems of purity. Well, possibly. But if a man or a woman is impure before marriage, it is highly likely that they will be impure after marriage, unless there is repentance. Getting married will not erase your personal defects of which we all have some, will not erase our personal defects and problems. In fact, marriage may magnify them. In other words, marriage is not the be-all and end-all of things. Marrying may leave you with your problems, guilt, irritability, bitterness, and add another person's problems. So it's important to look to the Lord. To be serious and sincere rather than flippant, careless, and just out for a good time. Better to be single and wish to be married than to be married and wish to be single. If a guy buys a lemon, a car, That's not so serious. It's not so long term. But if he marries a woman who is sour, um, it's okay to deal off the car on a different model, but not the wife. The Lord doesn't permit trade-ins on spouses. Only if it's a case of being total, to the relationship being total. In other words, if a partner dies. And um, divorce is very common, but the Bible says, Romans chapter 7, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. And if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So that seems clear enough, but not acceptable in our culture. A good look at the Lord. Choose God and his will. In reality, uh, choosing a life companion, this subject is a secondary matter, even though it may be primary in your thoughts. As young people, it actually is secondary. Because it's important to choose God. And to follow his way completely. God may see fit that singleness would be for our good and for his purposes. Or he may see fit that marriage may meet our needs and be his will. But I say let there be no reproach or shame or condescension or unkind teasing. Those who are single or those who are married. Is it not improper to cast reproach on a person's commitment to God's will? For example, so you haven't been able to land anybody yet. Or on the other hand, you know what marriage is for those who are less dedicated to the Lord? Now it's a matter of being committed to the Lord, married or single. If we are serious about The Lord's will for ourselves and have that expectation for others, then we need to be careful with our tongues. Have equal respect for those who are married or single and urge one another to faithfulness. It's a matter of seeking God's will. Shall we stand and sing that song, Seek Ye First? Stand, please. Seek Ye First. Seek first the kingdom of God. So the first good look is looking to the Lord. The second good look is looking at yourself. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Example of leaning on your own understanding is a guy that says, Wow, she ever a beauty. Well, what does the Lord have to say about her heart? As you've heard before, no doubt, it's not so much a matter of finding the right person as being the right person. So as we consider qualities of others, we should, first of all, be evaluating ourselves. Am I consecrated and victorious? Am I open to God's leading? Am I surrendered to being single or married, as the Lord would direct Bible says take heed to yourself. And uh, Jesus gave eight or nine beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Those are good measuring tools for evaluating ourselves, for looking at ourselves, and being the right person. And now, the third good look is looking at the character qualities of a potential husband or wife. There are various ways of evaluating. We can consider uh, some Bible characters such as Rebecca and Isaac. They, uh, as they, as Isaac was interested in a wife. There was the value of prayer, uh, of an outside evaluation, namely Eliezer. There was the principle of sacrifice. Rebecca had to leave her home and the stuff she had, most of it anyway. There was the minimizing of her beauty. Uh, She hid it under a veil. Then there was Samson. He said, get her, for she pleaseth me well. That was his instructions to his parents. He was seemingly controlled by lust. And we see there the lesson of grief and hurt if there is an unwise choice. Then there's Joseph and Mary. Joseph in particular, but both of them, were pure. There was Joseph's consideration for Mary, and uh, he didn't want to embarrass her unduly. Wanted to put her away privately when he realized that she was pregnant. There was a the principle of obedience. And he was not one to do things rashly or impulsively, but he, as he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord said, take Mary to be your wife. So we can look at ourselves in view of uh, lessons from Bible characters. We can sen- consider the fruit of the Spirit. I'd like to read these in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. There is the contrast, uh, the works of the flesh. And we should see if we are involved in any of these. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, writhe, strife, seditions, heresies, and this is an ugly lot here, I must say. Now let's contrast verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. No limit to those. Those that are in Christ. We are to marry only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, only in the Lord. So that restricts the field considerably as far as possibilities are concerned. I know... There have been cases where someone of another, altogether different denomination, uh, Catholic, Protestant, or even Muslim and Christian, nice personalities, uh, lots of courtesy, and you think, ah, it could work out, but it's not biblical, only in the Lord. If you see in the other person a pattern of the works of the flesh, be very cautious. They need to show the fruit of the Spirit if they are going to be in the Lord. One young lady from my youth group when I was young uh, became aware that I was going to use the term gentleman, but maybe that's not the right term, although he was polite. The young man that she was dating he seemed to be mostly interested in her body, and she terminated the relationship. Amos 3:3 3, 3 says, "Can two walk together except they be agreed?" So even if uh, you're basically in agreement, you know, born again, want to live for the Lord, uh, if there are significance? Significant differences. Uh, I remember a young man in my home congregation. He uh, dated a girl. Um, it wasn't till they were married that they came to the issue. I think they had been avoiding it. Where are we going to go to church? So um, they chose, but... Um our church would have been the more conservative one they and she wasn't ready to um, meet the requirements there. Can two walk together? I think it's I don't think you have to be members of the same church fellowship, but early in the courtship, I think there should be some understanding, and certainly only in the Lord uh Spurgeon of England century ago, uh was talking to a woman. She admitted that the man she was wishing to marry was not really a, a true Christian. And, uh, but he, she said, under my influence, I, I think I can pull him up and he'll become a Christian. So this preacher uh, asked her to stand up on a chair, which she did. And then he said, okay, take my hand and pull me up to your level. And um she, of course, couldn't do it. He said, "Now I'm going to uh, pull you down, but you do all you can to remain up on that chair." And she toppled off the chair. He said, "That is what will happen if you marry that man. You won't lift him up, but he will pull you down. Look at character qualities, look at the fruit of the spirit." I'd like to go now to First Timothy chapter 3. This is a, maybe a, a funny approach as far as you're concerned. It's, it's about those who are qualified for ordination. So, uh, uh, But I think the, uh, a lot of the principles, a lot of the points are the, the same for the, for the lady who is considering a, a husband. Same qualities for leadership in the home. Many of them are also the qualities for leaders in the church. So, um, for those of you who are married in the audience, you can sort of evaluate uh, yourselves with, uh, in comparison with these qualities. 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 and 3, gives this list of credentials. A bishop, then, must be blameless. Let's change it to a husband, if you're thinking along that line. Blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. So let's look at these. Blameless. Literally, it means nothing to take hold on, nothing that you could say this person is at fault. Doesn't mean we don't have faults, but um, no grounds for... Accusation, a life that is above reproach. A second quality is that of being sober. Being in earnest not, uh, doesn't mean not having a sense of humor, but having a serious approach to life, not just living for thrills. Of good behavior, literally orderly. That may be in his appearance, courtesy, even in his driving. As one theologian said, the last part of the body of the Christian's body, to be fully sanctified is the right foot. There's a sinew of selfishness there in that right foot. So, even things like driving you can evaluate. Not given to wine, In other words, free from bad habits. Tobacco and drink and drugs and cursing and gossiping and whining. Patient. This is the idea of Gentleness. Being able to take criticism without reaction. Being approachable. Not rash or impulsively foolish. These things make all kinds of problems in a marriage. Where, where there's rashness, where there's reacting to criticism. A patient also in the sense of persevering. Uh, Keeping out a job. Keeping on in the Christian life. Going next to Titus chapter 1 and verse 7, where we have another catalog of things. Titus one seven, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, Holy, temperate. So the term here is not self-willed. Self-will in a marriage is very destructive. So many people in a marriage, in marriages, are in love. That's the problem. They're in love with themselves. Self-willed. Rather, we need to be willing to cooperate. And this often is uh, evident in relation to parents, whether a person is self-willed or not. Whether they're defensive, self justifying, or just plain stubborn. Not double tongued, uh, but rather sincere in speech. You can go by, you can count on what they're saying, and uh, able to depend on things. One girl wrote He was new in our district, and I had only seen him twice. Tall, well built and very handsome. He was the dream of my girlish heart. So when he called and asked for a supper date, I shyly accepted. We had a marvelous evening. Phil was the perfect gentleman, and he soon had me at ease with his laughing, easy manner, and smooth, interesting conversation. The time passed all too quickly, and it was one tired, happy girl that climbed the stairs to bed that night. As time went on, Phil and I became very well acquainted. My parents were quite impressed, and I was so happy. He made me feel like a lady. He was courteous and attentive. It was a pleasure being with him. His mother was a small, a gentle woman, but I thought her blue eyes were kind of sad. His dad was stern, but friendly enough. I felt myself falling more and more in love, and I... Prayed earnestly for God's guidance and his will in my life. Then one day his mother called and asked if I would be interested in shopping with her, then having supper with him, then let Phil take me home afterwards. I agreed, glad for the opportunity to get better acquainted. We spent an enjoyable day in town and making supper together. Then we sat down to wait. Till Phil and his dad came home from work. It was a while before a car screeched to a sudden stop outside. A door slammed violently, and someone came into the house. My heart stopped as an angry shout reached my ears. Where in the world are you, Mum? Get out here! I'm hungry as a rat, and there's never a thi- guy anything for a guy to eat around here. What do you think I... He stopped in the doorway and stood speechless, looking from one pale face to the other. My throat was powder dry and my knees turned weak, but I was inwardly on fire with indignation. I forced myself to stand up and look him straight in the eye. We needed no words. The lie he had been telling me was bare and ugly. I thanked the Lord over and over again for opening my eyes look to character qualities. Not double-tongued, not being a hypocrite. And not soon angry. Anger is so destructive in a marriage relationship. The ability to keep calm, even in disagreements, is important. Just is another term. Do you want to be treated fairly? And have your spouse communicate using common sense, good judgment? Another phrase is holy, is all sin under the blood. Holding fast the faithful word, verse 9 of Titus 1 says, as he hath been taught. So loyalty to a spiritual church. If the man, the young man, is not loyal to the church, how do you expect him to be loyal to you? What makes you think he will be loyal to you if he hasn't learned loyalty to the church? If he doesn't keep his promises or she doesn't keep her promises to God, what makes you think he or she is going to keep the promises to you? Now, in these scriptures, there's also social qualities. We've looked at the spiritual one so far. Given to hospitality is one of them. Literally loving the stranger. Uh, Being sensitive to the needs of others. And in a marriage, being sensitive to your needs and feelings. Given to hospitality suggests flexibility. No striker is another character quality, nor a brawler. In other words, not a quarrelsome person, either with fists or with words. Having a good report of those outside of the church community. What's the reputation in the community for paying bills? For getting to work on time? For having good relations with the neighbors? Not covetous. Don't. Marry for money. And home life. How does he treat his mom and his sisters? Usually a pretty good indicator how you will be treated. Going back to 1 Timothy 3, let's have a few things about the girl. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. In other words, not giddy, but grave and serious-minded, not flippant, not careless, not a manipulator. And in terms of one's speech, not a gossip. Faithful in all things is the term. In relation to the Lord, in one's attitude toward children, in housekeeping, in uh, personal appearance. Someone said, to marry a woman for her beauty is like buying a house for its paint. It's just on the surface. Finally, I'd like to uh, turn to Proverbs 31. I've given quite a bit of attention to the qualities of the man. I'd like to uh, uh, consider also some things about the sister. Proverbs 31, which you may recognize as being a description of the virtuous woman. Verse 10. Is the idea of virtuous. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? Is she trustworthy? Verse 11 and 12. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that she he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. A willing worker. Verses 13 to 16. Talks about... Uh, Working with her hands, and uh, being uh, responsible with money, Uh, getting up on time, and um, working with uh, with a garden. In this case, verse sixteen, and simply being sensible with money. Verse sixteen says, "She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengthens her arms." She perceiveth that her merchandise is good; her candle goeth not out by night. And there's um, many useful skills. Verse nineteen: She layeth her hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She can make clothing. She's sympathetic to the needy. Verse twenty: She stretcheth out her hands to the poor; yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is wise. Verse twenty-six: She openeth her mouth with wisdom. And she is kind, the latter part of verse 26. And in her tongue is the law of kindness. And she is industrious, verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and needeth not the bread of idleness. And she fears the Lord, as verse 30 says. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, this matter of possible marriage, of dating. Don't be in a rush is one point of advice I would give you. Don't rob the cradle, fellows. Um, marry in haste, repent in leisure. Um, what did Ben Franklin say? See, the one that said marriage is a... An institution, an institution for the blind. No, I think he said, uh, um, "Keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterwards." <laughs> I started dating when I was 22, and I think uh, because we, my wife and I, were not teenagers, it, it has contributed to our marriage. We've had a good marriage. I do not advocate predating. You know the. 15, 16, or even perhaps 17-year-olds, depending on the church expectations. I think we should avoid having uh, special girlfriends, boyfriends, and mid-teens, but rather I advocate being a friend to everybody in the youth group, have a free mingling, and uh, you should be aware that crushes come and crushes go and um, most people by their time they're 20 they've had a few of those and you don't want to get caught in a cycle of a crush that's going to go I think the brothers should take the initiative girls therefore should avoid flirting For one thing, flirting isn't pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't correspond to shamefacedness and sobriety, reserve. Furthermore, flirting does not contribute to a good relationship with other girls. And as far as decent guys, flirting is counterproductive. Instead of appealing to those who are conscientious, Decent young man, it will repel them. Don't let parents push you into a relationship. Sometimes parents are over eager to have their charming young man and winsome young daughter married off. I don't get it, but that's the way it is in some communities. I think parents do a disservice. If they communicate to their child and you're 21 and you're not dating or married yet, what's wrong with you? As far as courtship itself is concerned, that's part of the process of selecting a life companion. There are lots of things that can be done that are profitable, there are some that are less profitable. In the case of my wife and I, we visited others, we played some games together, Um, we had discussions. Um, I think it's a good idea for a dating couple not to separate themselves from the rest of the youth group and you have your own little thing going there without uh, involvement of the others. I think it's good to to be friends of everybody. Let spiritual things be spiritual. So I advocate Bible reading and and prayer and uh, discussion of values. Keep thyself pure. An emphasis on the physical is wrong. It's It's important to set decent high standards and don't let them slide. Remember our one daughter, the first one that dated, married now to Stephen Gingrich. A few of you would know him from El Channel Guatemala, and uh, in Ontario, they, uh, some weddings there's this silly little habit of tinkling the glasses, and then the, the bride and groom are supposed to get up and kiss. And so I said, "Oh, do we need to do we need to say something at the reception about that?" And uh, Stephen says, "You don't have to worry. If you think I'm going to kiss Brenda for the first time in front of 300 people." That ain't going to happen. So that told me where their dating standards had remained. Bible says flee fornication. The devil wishes to be present on your dates. Draw an eye to God. Flee from him. Be alert to true character. Let me conclude with the Beatitudes for courting couples. Blessed is the courting couple who are poor in spirit, for theirs will be a kingdom of good relationships on earth as each maintains an attitude of humility. An absence of pride will mean less anger that makes words hot, less contention that arises from a high opinion of one's viewpoint, less boasting that irritates the other, and less conceit that spoils a relationship. Blessed is the courting couple who have sorrowed for their sins, repented of them, and embraced the way of the Redeemer, for they shall be comforted with salvation, peace, joy, and hope of heaven, as the quartet was singing about. Blessed is the courting couple who are meek, for they shall inherit a good relationship on earth, being able to disagree in a courteous manner, being willing to apologize, and being able to accept criticism graciously. Blessed is the courting couple who help each other live righteously, with right actions, pure thoughts, godly natures, and proper speech, and who hunger and thirst to know God's will, and to be led step by step during courtship. Blessed is the courting couple who are merciful to each other, forgiving each other, viewing each other's weaknesses with forbearance and sympathy. Blessed is the courting couple who are pure, with purity of motive in courtship, with sincerity before God in seeking his will, with holy thoughts, clean speech, and chaste behavior toward each other. Blessed is the courting couple who are peacemakers, sharing the gospel of peace with others, living at peace with parents and siblings, living without quarrels with each other, and living harmoniously in the brotherhood. Blessed is the courting couple who are mocked because of maintaining godly courtship standards, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and a good foundation for marriage.